One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show where we use music to time travel back to the moments in our guest lives that make them who they are. Our guest today is Grant Billings. Grant is co-founder of the Southwest Florida Steinway Piano Society's Young Artist Piano Competition and the president of the local Steinway Piano Society, in addition to owning the Steinway Piano Gallery. Last year, we offered a slot on this show as a silent auction item for a fundraiser the Alliance for the Arts was having, and Grant's wife, Colleen, secretly won it and gave it to him as a Christmas gift. So, thanks to Grant and Colleen for supporting the Alliance, and let's get to the show. Hey there, Grant. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for supporting the Alliance for the Arts. It's a it's a fantastic resource we have here. More people need to know about it. Explain real quickly how this came about. Uh, I uh, have a bit of an addiction to concerts. And um, when the Alliance for the Arts was doing their fundraiser, I think it was in November, and I saw that the band that they had is a band called Nappy Roots. Um, and signed up for that and was, I couldn't believe that they were coming to town. Then I found out that they had the association with Alliance for the Arts. So as part of that, there's a silent auction. And I'm a sucker for silent auction. And we're walking through and I was telling my, I saw the auction for the fundraiser for the three song story. And I was telling my wife about it. She didn't know about it. And I said, this is what they do. Wouldn't that be cool? And I put the first bid in and it, it would be a neat experience. And and the bidding got it, which is what it's supposed to do. We're glad that happened. It's for a good cause. Uh, and it got to the point where I had to tap out because, you know, I'm a simple piano merchant. And my very, very sneaky wife, Colleen, apparently after I was out, she knew I wouldn't come back in. And she won it. And this was my Christmas gift. That's so cool. We are so honored. And it's really great to be able to donate something to a silent auction that's free. Yeah. <laughs> uh, You're getting content. Yeah. So, well, that's true. Um, so, A, great job on the bio. Your bio is the most uh, well-written and concise and explanatory bio I think we've gotten yet. So oh, wow. I appreciate Thank you. that. So, B, you have been steeped in music going back before your family was born, before you were born. Oh, so, yeah. uh, so, where were you born? Where did you grow up? And uh, describe the musical background of that childhood. I was born in Music City. I was born in Nashville. Uh, my father lived there. He was um, uh, he wanted to become a rock star. He was of that generation that he remembers seeing the Beatles, and the Beatles were what he wanted to do. He's a great, great bass player, uh, also a fantastic percussionist. So he's with this touring band called the General Store, and they're doing the the Mid South. And at the time, there were these clubs called Hullabaloo Clubs, and the drinking age was twenty one. The hullabaloo clubs were for kids between young adults between 18 and 21. So young, young kids couldn't get in, but they didn't serve liquor. Understood. My mom, and it depends on who I'm talking to. So since it's just us, I'll tell the unfiltered version. Just us. Uh, yeah. But it's, it, if it's to the general public, I say my mother was a waitress. The truth is my mother was a dancer. If you remember uh, like the Laugh-In and shows like that, she was on this pedestal and she was dancing and my, my dad's in the band. Come the end of the night... To get everyone out, they had to put all the musicians and all the women that worked there in this room about the size of this studio. They had to put 
15 people in there. Otherwise, the boys are going to stay and try and talk to the waitresses and the dancers, and the girls are going to try and talk to the band. So they, they are in this tight room for about 20 minutes while they clear the club out. And my dad apparently positions himself. So every night he's standing next to Jackie. And uh, a couple months later, I was born. So that, that's that's how my dad wound up in, in Nashville from Milwaukee before I was a year old. Um, the My dad now has a kid and is married. And now the rock star thing might have to take a hiatus. Right. So he moves back to Milwaukee, where is where my dad's side of the family is from, to find work and and lay down the roots. So I was born in Nashville, but before I was old enough to have a vote, we moved back to Milwaukee, and I grew up in a suburb outside of uh, uh, Milwaukee called Wauwatosa. And your grandfather was a musician. Your my grandfa- great grandfather was a musician. Yeah. Just paint that picture real quick. Well, my grandfather. Uh, I should start with my great grandfather Roy. He led a Dixieland band. Uh, in the 20s. And I didn't put two and two together until I was a young adult. He also had polio as a boy hmm. and lost. I only ever remember him, the, my oldest memory of him, he's walking with a cane and then later two canes and a walker in a wheelchair. I was in my early 20s when I realized he led a Dixieland band as the drummer, but he had limited use of his legs. And I asked my dad, how did he play how do you lead with drums? Yeah. With his, and, and basically he put his hips into it and he just, he got enough motion. Wow. He just he, moved his feet around with his mid body. Yeah. It wasn't going to stop him from playing. So my grand, my great grandfather does a Dixieland band. Years later, my grandfather, uh, in the early 40s, so many men had joined the army and the military that he became a 13 year old band leader. Because he had this experience, my great grandfather had had ex, you know, the musical experience, and he starts putting bands together. And he was had bands up until shortly before he passed away in one form or another. But when I was growing up, my grandfather was a legend. He had a TV show for a short time on the uh, NBC affiliate, and he somehow he gets the Sunday night spot, spot right. I think it was before the evening news, but after the TV show that they did for whoever the Packers head, head coach was. Well, the year my grandfather gets that spot, Vince Lombardi becomes coach of the Packers and everything takes off. So my people are- And that's are, teeing up that spot he's got. It's teeing up the spot. <laughs> and, my, and my grandfather, it was so hokey. I, I've only ever seen one, it, there's a- uh, a film reel of it somewhere, and it's one of those things where it's ni- early 1960s local TV production. So he's playing a song on the organ to show off the latest merchandise, and then he says, and we'll be back after this message from our sponsor. And he turns from camera one to camera two, and he says, hello, folks, I'm Zeb Billings. <laughs> and then he does the, and then, and now back to our program. He goes back to camera one. Welcome back. And it was it At was, least they had two cameras. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think it was two. But he had Mel Torme on the show. He had, um, uh, I don't think he ever had Liberace, who was from Milwaukee. But he would get big names when they were coming through. Otherwise, he would just play. He didn't, he didn't care. He just, he wanted everyone to experience music, and that led to him. His piano and organ business was very successful. And now, when I was a young adult, and I'm working uh, for a local outfit selling TVs at the time. 
And I'm meeting people that see my name tag and they go, are you related to Zeb Billings? Hmm. And he had been out of the- Zeb? Zeb. Oh, yeah. His, his <laughs> given name was, was Gary, but my great-grandfather saw a Western years when, he was, when my grandfather was a kid and there was a character named Zeb Johnson's boy. So my great-grandfather starts calling my grandfather Zeb Johnson's boy, which gets shortened to Zeb Johnson, which gets shortened to Zeb. And eventually he just changed his name because it stuck. <laughs> um, if you have to go back and try to remember the earliest musical memory you can recall, is that possible for someone who had so much music around him? It is, uh, but it's probably not what you would think. What I remember is if you, if you think about when you started to feel like you were a grown-up and given responsibility in your home. And when I was – Probably just about three years old, I was allowed to flip the record on the turntable. Hmm. My mother was not allowed to touch the turntable because <laughs> she flipped records wrong. She would just grab it and flip it over and drop the needle on. But I knew to grab it with my fingertips on the side and to rotate it and to clean it. So my dad, who is listening to, you know, getting home from work and he wants to listen to Dark Side of the Moon, and he's now all comfortable and it's like, Hey, Grant, will you go flip the record? And it got to the point, I think that might be how I got into the DJing because I was like, I, I knew when side one was ending, I was up there ready to flip it over. And uh, like the most, the first time I really felt like I had a grown-up response, I could do something my mom wasn't allowed to do. Wow. Um, instruments. Do you play instruments? You I, must have had a piano at the house. We had a piano at the house, <laughs> and this has been uh, our legacy. The piano that we have in our house, because of the, the family being in the piano business, it usually wouldn't be around that long. It would wind up getting sold, and then it'd be gone for a little while, and then another one would come, and uh, which was fun. Uh, but it was a lot. Of, I hear these stories all the time about people's childhoods, pi- childhood pianos and how they remember them. And I had like a hundred. Uh, I did take organ and piano lessons and uh, wasn't very good. But I, I, there was always someone better than me. But I really got into the technical side of working on pianos. And that that was a little – well, it was, they were both interesting to me. But – I wasn't very good at the one thing, and I could be really good at the other thing. So that's what kind of got me down down that path. You probably hooked me up with a piano tuner, right? Uh, I, I know a couple. Okay. I've got a piano that needs tuned. Um, no, okay. You're talking to the right guy. Let's get to your first song. Okay. Uh, this is the Prince song, right? Yes. What's the story, or how do you want to handle it? I, uh, again, that uh, – uh, I'll, I'll tell the story first on this one. I was – my birthday's in late August, so every summer I was I was the youngest one of all my friends. And the year everyone else turned 16, I'm still 15 and change, and I can't get a work permit. So all of my friends are getting jobs through our older friend at this grocery store chain called Pick and Save. And we need people, and, and I'll talk to the manager in that. And I, I get the job. I just lie about my age. You know, it's 15 and a half. What are they going to do, arrest me? <laughs> I get the job, but not at the pick and save store in our neighborhood at the one about 10 miles away in a, one of the seediest parts of Milwaukee. And I'm riding my bike there. And literally, it used to be a J.C. Penny, and they had converted it to this grocery store, but they had multi-level parking, which is a terrible idea. So I was literally – I'm collecting carts in the parking lot, and I have to step over hypodermic needles that people have, have passed out. And that was the job that really taught me the value of a, of a buck. 
because it was very hard work and very unfavorable conditions for $3.15 an hour, and I've appreciated every job I've had since then. That summer, this song is Prince's big hit, and my family's rights and some of us are funny, and uh, I, I changed the lyrics that summer to, uh, to, to fit my, my current vocation. How so? Uh, it was, she drank raspberry Kool-Aid. The kind you buy at a pick-and-save store. Ah. Raspberry Kool-Aid. And if it was warm, she would drink a lot more. Okay. That's your first songwriting. Probably. Was it your last songwriting? No. No? Okay. But mostly parodies. Okay, we'll find out more about that in a little bit. All right. This is uh, Grant Billings' first song on today's episode of Three Song Stories. It's Raspberry Beret by Prince off his 1985 album Around the World in a Day. Uh, were you a bit too leisurely in your job? No, man. I was. I was working. I was I working that hard. It's funny at the beginning. I was like, maybe Grant was too leisurely. No, you were working hard. I, I'm more caught in just when I heard the lyrics again that uh, he was working at Old Man Johnson or riding by Old Man Johnson's farm, and I realized I just told the Zeb Johnson's boy story. Yeah, there you go. Um, how were you listening to that? Was that a Walkman? That's my Walkman. Yeah, Sony. Fancy no, one? No, one no, of the like no. Emerson, was, one of the cheapos. Uh, I think it was a Panasonic, and the uh, remember the the headphones, the little earphones back then. Oh had yeah, the, the little circular disc shaped pad. No, no, oh. this was this is those ones fitting here. This is the the sponge. That's what I, yeah, that's what I was describing. Oh, yeah. Something about the size of like an Oreo cookie. Right. So about five <laughs> five miles into your bike ride, that thing's covered with sweat. So yeah, it, uh, I I didn't get until I had advanced my career. My next job, I I was working at Target, and then I was able to afford the Sony Walkman. Hmm. It was actually I had only ever seen the one, and I wish I'd taken better care of it. It was a we were talking about equipment before. It was a double deck Walkman. Oh, you could put a cassette on each side, and you could tape from one to the other. I am unfamiliar. I even when it broke, I should have kept it. And I, I found the one; it was in the clearance bin. I've, I've never seen it or heard of it, but that was that was probably the coolest piece of gear, most unique piece of gear I've ever had. I had a, a in college. I went away to school, nineteen ninety, and I went to the what was the record store with the crates. Peaches. Oh. I went to the Peaches. Do you remember Peaches? Yeah. And uh, and they had a closeout set of speakers. That Where were, was this? Uh, Orlando. In Orlando, okay. They had this closeout set of speakers. They were about three feet tall. They yeah. were Emerson speakers. And they one of them had an amp in the back of it, like modern PC speakers do. Right. And so what you can do is you run a little line over to the other speaker. It has a little eighth inch. You plug it into your headphones. And you've got a really nice piece of audio equipment Compact for your dorm room. room. Yeah. And I had those things for years, and I thought, why didn't that ever catch on? Well, because it's too good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was harder <laughs> Like to the s- double-sided Walkman. Harder to sell components when you have everything all in one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Man, those, uh, until they died, I, I loved that. Um, was Prince part of your normal listening routine at that age in your life? It was. My best friend wanted to be Prince. Okay. And uh, that's Jeff Wusso. And Jeff's dad was the principal of our middle school. And I, I come over to Jeff's house. You know, I ride my bike over one day and Mr. Wusso is mowing the lawn and he stops the lawnmower. He comes over. He says, wait till you see this. Okay. And Jeff comes walking out. His hair is purple. 
And Mr. Wusso is asking me, who's the same age, he said, well, what do you think of this? And I said, well, I, I guess it's good he doesn't have a job interview on Monday. <laughs> but, you know, probably better to get this out of his system now. And, uh, and so we, I had to listen to Prince with, uh, with Jeff. We stayed up all night one night watching terrible movies on HBO. And then that morning or that afternoon, my mom took us to see the premiere of Purple Rain. And if you haven't seen that movie, it's pretty good, but on no sleep, it's a whole different experience. <laughs> um, it's funny that you say that because um, at UCF that freshman year, a friend of mine who I knew from high school, but we weren't super close. But when you go away to school, suddenly somebody from your hometown, you oh, yeah. kind of become close. And he wanted to be Prince. Really? He was the biggest. He's how I first learned about Prince. He could talk to you about Prince for four hours straight. So uh, more synchronicity here during this interview. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, what was the overall scene like for you in high school for music? It was I, I accidentally found myself kind of being uh, one of the influencers, I guess. When I was a sophomore, I dabbled in a couple bands. And when the band I was in, uh, the, the one that had a gig, Eclipse, it was me. A, a gig? We uh, Battle of the Bands. Okay. So we actually played the Battle of the Bands. And I was the backup keyboard player. Jeff was our keyboard player, so I ran sound. Um and I just totally lost my train of thought. You were asking, oh, the scene. So I, people knew that I like could run gear in that. And somebody came up to me and said, uh, at the homecoming that year, whoever was in charge of hiring the band, the band had put together like the perfect contract. So they're playing for the kids. So they're going to play for three hours, but every 45 minutes they get a 15-minute break. It is like, what? You don't do that. But the workaround was someone came and said, hey, Grant, we're gonna, we want to keep the music going. Could you DJ in between the band sets? And I was you know, 15. I could do anything. Said, oh, I could do that. Why not? I got records. And took my dad's turntable out of the system at home and got- With his permission? With his permission. Okay. Got, he loaned me some amplified speakers that he had at the store, borrowed somebody else's turntable, Someone had a mixer, and I pieced together this thing, and it it went so well that the band came back out for their second set, and nobody wanted to dance for the band, and I wound up playing for like an hour and a half after that, and that started my DJing career, and it, it turned into this thing where I was getting a lot of the dances at my own school. Excuse me. I was getting a lot of the dances at my own school, but then when I when other schools started booking me, now my school really wanted me. And what but when I gigged at the other schools, my buddies would help me for free because none of the girls at the other schools knew them, so they had a better chance. Uh, and <laughs> and now I like I kind of become like a little DJ version of my grandpa back in the day mm -hmm. where people at different schools know who Grant Billings is, which was kind of fun. And then uh, now they're now I'm the one who at the dances is introducing people to the new song that maybe they haven't heard yet because I know the guy down at the radio at, yeah, or at yeah, the record yeah. store. It's like this one's come. This one's gonna be on the radio in, in two weeks. Can you remember back to what would have been like? What were you spinning during that era? What were the what were the songs? Well, my choices. I I really got into Huey Lewis and the News. Okay, and I had the, solid band. Oh yeah, a, a bar band that made it big. Is, is the way I think about them. And, and most of my favorite bands are like that. I saw uh, Old Dominion a couple months ago over in, uh, at the, uh, in Hollywood. And 
had never seen them live. And I'm like, these guys are a bar band that that have some hits, but you can tell they really enjoy playing that way, playing together. Huey Lewis, uh, I'm sorry, Hootie and the Blowfish is another one of those where I've seen those guys countless times, and they're just they're down to earth. They're having fun, and they're playing the hits that people want, but they're also having fun doing it. So yeah, the uh, Huey Lewis and the News. Uh, I got into Steve Winwood, got into Robert Palmer, um, and then what? You know the uh, the Jody Watley, uh, Taylor Dane was one that I was really impressed with her record covers, and she had the big hair, and it was the '80s, right? And I actually got to meet her uh, probably about ten years ago. We were in uh, D.C. doing lobbying for music education, and she was the celebrity that they brought along. And I was like, man, I, I bought all your records. And she took a little bit of a shine to me. So I was, hmm. she had like these four inch heels walking around Washington, D.C. So she was usually on my arm and she'd have to go up. That was, you know, a little throwback to, to high school there. Did you have a DJ name? I didn't at the time. I've, I've kind of been given a moniker since then. But at the time it was, it, the DJs that had like, they were an MC or a DJ something actually came a little bit after I got into it because I didn't do a lot of beat mixing. I was I was more like a radio DJ at a, yeah, at a dance. Yeah. yeah, you were just overlapping songs. Right, yeah. right. So I was just grand. So you had a brief stint as an attempted radio DJ? I interned at the local classic music – or not classic music, classic rock station in Milwaukee because the guy who was my business teacher in high school was friends with the station manager. So I – I wouldn't say I, that got me close enough to seeing the sausages being made and and talking to some people about what it takes to make it in the, the, the in the DJ business. And when I was that age, I was never going to move anywhere. What was going to be better than Wauwatosa? <laughs> my family was known. I was known. All my friends yeah. were there. I was never going to move away. And uh, yeah, that didn't exactly play out. You do have the voice for it, though. You got the pipes. Thank you. I've I've. Uh, I've been able to be on a couple times, like the, that cla- that classic rock station did a thing called uh, Hey Mom, I'm on KLH, where you could be a guest DJ. And I did that one night, and uh, that was fun. And then they would also do a thing where you could send in a night at nine, and they would play your nine songs after they finished the morning show. And they did that one time. When you saw the Wayne's World movie when um, – what's the guy's name? Alice Cooper. Oh yeah, made the Millie Waukee joke. Yeah, how'd that resonate with you? <laughs> well, the same as it did for everybody in Milwaukee. It's like that's not. It's not Algonquin. <laughs> we didn't have Algonquin. Menominee. It was the Menominee uh, uh, tribes. Uh, but anytime you get a shout out about Milwaukee, you know it was woohoo. I mean, they filled Major League there. You got to remember. Oh, of course, that... they told everyone it was Cleveland. <laughs> really, I didn't know that. That's my bit of trivia for today. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? At that point, were you, you know, was DJing what you were heading toward? Did you always see the piano business as where you were going to go? I ne- much like my father, I never saw the piano business as somewhere I wanted to go. At the time, I was really interested in journalism, uh, and I thought that's what I would probably probably pursue. And uh, the I was – the family business thing, what I really love – my grandfather did this for my dad and my dad did it for me and I've done it for my son. No pressure, no expectation. Go out, see the world, work for other people, have experiences. We all helped out at the store when we when we were little. So you, you get that insight. But my family thinking was always 
you're only going to learn so much in four walls around the people you grew up around. So get out there and, and see the world. So I didn't feel any pressure with that. And I was able to build my own career. And it was really my father moving to Southwest Florida to open the Steinway Gallery that was supposed to be his retirement gig. He was going to do kind of limited hours and and uh, he called me after about six months and said, you might want to think about coming down here because this thing is is going pretty crazy. And by that time, I was over the boredom of hanging around a piano store when I was eight years old after school. And now we have the Steinway affiliation, which is exciting. And technology is starting to become a thing in pianos with the automatic player systems. And, and I really enjoyed those and making them work for people and integrating them with people. Kind of merged all together for it, you. It, it really did. It was it was synergy. How long have you been? Are you what are you now? I mean, are you like the, the owner president? I'm the owner. You're the owner. Yeah. How long have you been the owner? Uh, my dad officially retired seven years ago, and I. Uh, we stayed partners for a while, but that was done after about a year. I bought him out. So I've been the owner-owner for six years. Pretty cool. Yeah, not bad. Do you know Stephen Britton? Stephen Britton. I know the Britton. name. Britton. Stephen Britton is past guest on this show who has a pipe organ in his house off McGregor. A full, all the ranks from a church in San Francisco built into his house. And he has like four... Grand pianos in his main living space, okay. at least one of which is a Steinway. I figured you had to have come across Stephen Britton at I, some I, point. I've, I know I've heard his name, and I think it's the people telling me about the organ he has in his house. Uh, but I don't know that he's been in the store. And Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I had to ask. Sure. Um, okay. It is time for your second song. So uh, let's listen to the song first. All right, that's easy enough. This is The Way by Fastball from the 1998 album, All the Pain Money Can Buy. Anyone could see the road that they walk on. Man, that takes me right back to the late 90s. I had forgotten that song, but boy, it feels like the late 90s to me. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that confluence of the different genres oh, coming yeah. together. Yeah, and that one was on the radio a lot. Yeah. So, uh, so what's the story? You you alluded to it before. So that album came out in 98. That was the year that my family, my wife and my uh, uh, son moved to Florida. And again, we were never going to leave. My wife grew up in a, a suburb north of Milwaukee. We really liked it there. We were comfortable there, family there. And then we're faced with this opportunity to move to Florida. And the conversations and it, it a big, big move at that point with a two-and-a-half-year-old. And this song was played a lot on the radio. And all of a sudden, my wife and I realized, like, this song is – it seems like it's following us. And it's always summer. They'll never grow cold. And, like, all of these – all of these things about that, and I i believe it was the, – the place it took me back to was being in the car, leaving Milwaukee with my family, and I know I played this song as we left. And it was just leaving it all behind, everything that, that's established to go on this, on this new adventure. And uh, uh, the band played uh, – you know, I, I escaped me. Fastball. Right before the event center in Bonita Springs closed, which I heard is reopening now, but one of the last concerts I saw there was Fastball. 
And same thing. You could tell these guys had chemistry. They've been playing together for a long time now. And one of those bands that you go to see because you like this one song and they do other songs, you're like, well, do I know this? I think I know this. This is a really good song, and even though you've never heard it before. And it it uh, it brought all that back. Did you get a chance to talk to him at all? No. Didn't. I'd love to be able to pass that story along to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, we deal with these things we call song stories where music takes people back to times. And, you know, it must be really neat for artists to hear that or know that because you're like making a real lasting imprint on someone's life with something that you're doing because you love it. And it's right. just, it's magical. It's and, so cool. And to find that, that maybe are listening. Yeah, exactly. And and also when you, I, I've fortunately been able to have in the next songs like that, opportunities to tell some of my favorite artists the influence that they had on me. And especially when you can share a different perspective than they had when they wrote it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's a similar kind of emotion, but th- that's what an artist is, artist is trying to do. One of uh, a great songwriter, he goes by uh, Bobby Fontana, uh, Robbie Fontana. Uh, I knew him as Rob Gonzalez and he was a classmate of mine. And he was, he was the opposite of Jeff Uso. Also very, very smart, and he was going to go be a doctor because his brother was a doctor and his dad was his doctor and a grandfather was a doctor, and he went to college and he didn't want to be a doctor, and he decided to go out to L.A. and, and become a rock star. And, he, and he's written just some great stuff, and, and he and I have talked about some of his songs, and um, he's expressed that. You know, I'm writing a song as in trying to convey an emotion, and somebody picks up a similar but different emotion, it oftentimes makes the writer feel like I'm not the only one who's felt this way. Exactly. Um, concerts. You said in your well-written value that you've traveled for concerts. So I'm going to start with what's the furthest you've traveled for a concert? Can I start by saying while I was waiting, I booked concert tickets. <laughs> while you were in the lobby? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And this, to what? Uh, so How far away? That's going to be Cincinnati. (laughs) Okay. This morning, Jimmy Buffett in Cincinnati at Riverbend went on sale. So I had to be logged into Ticketmaster at 940 to to get those tickets. And now my new thing has been, okay, if there's going to be – is there something else around that same time that we can go to? So we're going to see the Bare Naked Ladies with Toad the Wet Sprocket and the Gin Blossoms the night before in Cincinnati. Talk about 90s. Oh, yeah. Why not? <laughs> Bring it all back. But I do uh, – the furthest I've ever transferred uh, – I've ever traveled for a concert uh, is Dublin, Ireland. What show? Jimmy Buffett. Big Buffett fan? Parrot head, fair I, to say? I am a. I am the vice president of the Naples Parrot Head Club. Well, and I don't, literally. I don't do that for the <laughs> accolades. And actually compared to that group, I'm a rookie. I've been to 15 shows. My friend Norm, who's the founder of the Parrot Head Club, we all, a bunch of us went to Dublin to see Buffett play at the Olympia Theater uh, there, and that was Norm's 99th show. A couple of days later, he and his wife Cheryl went to, I think the next show was in London. That was his 100th, and then a few days later, they went to Paris for his 101st. I don't even know what he's up to now, but those guys are really the diehards. Is Buffett who you've seen the most? Yeah, Buffett's the one I've seen the most. Mostly, and, and really that has to do with the friends that we've made in the Parrot Head Club and, and the people that we've met around the world. I mean, I'm walking through this the, this, the Wild Duck Pub right across the alley from the Olympia, and I happen to be wearing my Kentucky Derby hat. I don't know why. And I walk by this table and, oh, hey, whoa, and it's the Louisville Parrot Head Club. 
And I'm still friends with the president from that club. And you go anywhere in the country as a parrothead and, and you just walk up to people. Hey, I'm from Naples, Florida. Oh, hey, want a cheeseburger? Have a beer. Have a seat. You look tired. You, you know, want to do a jello shot? And, <laughs> and it's just, it's so fun to just know you're going to be around a great group of people that, that that's why that one's so high up on the list. Who would be next on the list in terms of repeat viewings or attendings? Last year, we ended up seeing James Taylor with Jackson Brown twice. Um, uh, I keep on, I've only seen Huey Lewis in the news live once, which was when I was in middle school. My wife and I found out years later when you're having those conversations about, you know, what was your first concert? And that was both of our first concerts, but we hadn't met. Same show? Yeah. Wow. The same show at Summerfest in Milwaukee. Um, probably second would be, uh, Hootie and the Blowfish. I think I've seen them four times and saw Darius Rucker last year. So if you want to count him as Hootie. Um, what, what is the biggest act you've seen in the smallest venue? Biggest act probably would be Jimmy Buffett in Delray Beach last year. There were 800 people at each of those concerts. We also got to see him when he did his show a couple months ago at the Ritz as a fundraiser. And that was only a thousand people, uh, but I've also just being in the right place at the right time. I got to see Randy Newman play for the Steinway Dealer Meeting. So Randy Newman comes in and plays in front of you know 180 people. Wow, that must have been neat. Uh, although my, I think my favorite, like realizing it's a real magical moment, and this is this is a pretty eclectic group. Um, Citizen Cope and Keb Moe. And a guy named Bernie Williams, who Yankees fans remember from from their heyday, uh, but Bernie is also an amazing uh, classical and Spanish guitar player. Really? Yeah. He uh, he's had Grammy, Latin Grammy nominations. Uh, he, when he retired from baseball, he when he got his uh, his music degree from Massey. And in fact, he, uh, I had a great conversation with him one time about he and his daughter graduated college the same year. But we were at we were in Washington D.C. as part of our lobbying effort, and they have a stage set up because there's all kinds of musicians. And I had just met Citizen Cope, um, who's a really nice, cordial, laid-back guy, and he's up there and like one of just somebody that owns a music store is on drums, and Keb Mo, who's I think won five Grammys now, and he and Bernie and he and Bernie have become really good friends. So you're seeing this real magic cross genre, which is what I'm all about because I, I don't like just one thing. Uh, and you know there were 120 people there. Hmm. Remind us what the lobbying effort was. Uh, our trade organization NAM, which is the National Association of Music Merchants has, I think we're about 15 years or so in keeping uh, arts and, and music education as part of curriculum in, in public schools. Is that linked at all to the your co-founder of the Southwest Florida Steinway Piano Society's Young Artist Piano Competition and president of the local Steinway Piano Society? No. No? Okay. Just, that's... That's just all the different things that you do. Yes. Um, do you and your wife's musical tastes align? Yes. Yeah, she uh, she's that got was a quick yes. She's gotten me a lot more uh, heavier, um, more heavy rock. Not heavy. I don't want to say heavy rock, but more rock, more uh, um, little grungy indie 
uh, and has opened my eyes there. And I've opened her eyes more, I think, to the appreciation of when something's really, really well produced and sitting down and listening to a song and not just having it be, be background, but it's a different experience there. So I know, I know she'd say I exposed her to a lot, but she's also exposed me to a lot. And we, you know, we, I don't know the last time there was a concert that one of us was interested that the other one was like, yeah, not so much me. You have at least one kid. How many kids? I have one uh, 25-year-old son, Graham. Uh, when he was coming up, did he ever bring home music that made you go, hmm? My family was always so accepting. I, I at one point had everything left for my father and my grandfather's record collection, and I could go through through that, and you know, I, I would be just as happy listening to Mel Torme as I would be listening to Jody Watley as I would listening to you know Rush. And I never wanted to judge his music. I, I've had this belief I've shared with a lot of my friends when, when they would comment about, you know, what are our kids doing? And our job is to not like our kids' music. Hmm. We're not supposed to understand it. Just like the parents that grew up on Frank Sinatra did not get Elvis. And the generation before Frank Sinatra, you know, that's not music. What's he doing? And it, it takes time to for that stuff to wash out. So there was never, I don't, I, he has exposed me to things that I really liked. We both understand that we have different styles and, and that that's part of what makes us individuals. We did a, uh, a couple years ago as my, I think it was my Christmas gift for him. I got a moleskin book and I, I wrote down lyrics, just like one line from a song. And I put about, I think I've got 80 or 100 in there, and I gave him that as his gift that year. Um, and he reciprocated for Christmas. He did the same thing for me. So that also gave me a guide to go and listen to, to more of his music. I know it's a long answer, but music means a lot in our in our families. But at the same time, I, I would never have been like, yeah, you, you, you can't listen to that. I, I might have said, you need to turn it down a little bit or listen with headphones, but you got you got to let the music do its thing, you know? Do you still have records? Do you still have record players? It sounds like maybe you do. I made the conscious decision um, when we moved into our new house and, and we're no longer in Wisconsin that I was done with the vinyl thing. And even if I moved them, they'd probably get damaged. So I parted with everything. And then uh, as the regret creeped in over the last five years, last year I, I bought myself uh, the turntable I've always wanted. And it has a place of honor in the house. And I started reacquiring my vinyl collection. One of the most amazing experiences was my son came down for my birthday this year. And we went up to one of these record stores in Fort Myers. And I'd never really done that before. I'd never done it with him. We were in there two hours. And it felt like nothing. And, and it was... It reminded me of the, the the Peaches days, yeah. Where you go in and you know how are you going to pick music? You're just going to walk in and you're going to you have that tactile. You're touching the records and the art draws you in, and then you got to look at the back to see what's going on. And okay, this one looks good, and then you buy it and either find out that was a waste of eight dollars and ninety nine cents, or it was a great investment. <clears throat> um, how big is your collection now, and do you have a favorite among it or some sort of gem? Probably at about two dozen, and my favorite would be the John Prine Diamonds in the Rough. I'm a big John Prine fan. I got and I got exposed to him from my, by my dad, and I wanted to find that record. And 
when he came over to the house and I, I showed him I had found it and told him why it was so important to me to find it. And he actually, he, he got a, a, a bit emotional and he told me about finding that in the discount rack. And that was how he got into John Prine. Mm. And now that's been a big influence on both of our musical tastes and just the number of musicians that we both liked that were influenced by, uh, by John Prine. So that would, that would be the one that I was really glad I was able to find. A, I didn't want a new copy. I was able to find a used copy of it. And it's, now it's not about I've, – I've, I've, I've had a sizable CD and, and record collection over the years, and now it's all about uh, quality. Um, what were you listening to on your way here today? Oh, uh, or were you looking for make sure you were going to get those Buffett tickets? I, no, <laughs> tickets were done. Uh, we had Radio Margaritaville on the way here. So, like Sirius XM, yeah. Is that how you primarily listen to music in the car? Uh, that and I'm a uh, I'm a big Apple Music buff because I I really love the playlist that they create for you now based on what you like. So mo- I'm either finding new music through Sirius XM. Or every week there's there's new music I might like, and it's great because it's not just bands you like; it's bands like bands you like, and that's that's opened things up for me. When was the last time you listened to FM radio music? Well, the last time I listened to FM radio was listening to WGCU music. The last time I listened to, <laughs> to music on FM radio would have I don't know. I I know it hasn't been that long. But I don't remember. Okay, we're we're doing a poll. We're collecting data yeah, on I, that. Nothing against. I mean, I, there, in hindsight, I'm really glad I didn't pursue that career in FM radio because far fewer jobs down the road. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt about that. Um, okay, it is time for your third song. Like, let's listen to. Actually, I, I yeah, we'll start with. Um, let's listen to the song. All right, uh, I like your style. This is uh, Just Like You by Keb Mo off the album of the same name released in 1996. It's Grant Billings' third and final song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. Under my skin, I'm just like you. So what were you looking at behind those closed eyes? Because in the first song, you kind of just sat there. And kind of, and then the second song, you air-drummed. And that song, you had your eyes closed the whole time. Does it get better than that? Hmm. The amazing production, you've got Bonnie Raitt, you've got Jackson Brown, you've got Hammond B3. That's to me one that it, you just close your eyes and you be in the song. What story? That was the song that, with the first song I heard by Keb Mo. And this guy's really good. And I start listening to more and more of his music. And through Nam. And the lobbying effort, I realize I'm standing in a room and the guy standing next to me is Keb Mo. Like, well, this is awesome, but I can't be fanboy. You know, this is an industry event. We got to be. And uh, I just lean over. I said, hey, man, I really, really dig in the new album. And he looks at me in the eye and says, you like that? Or he's like, you like that? Yeah. He goes, it was all her idea. And he points to his wife, Robbie. So... Later on, we're going through the buffet line. We're talking everything. It turns out his wife, Robbie, is from Wisconsin, about an hour from where my wife was bo- grew up. And they're about the same age. And they, we all have kids. And we all start talking. So now we're getting to know Captain Robbie. And uh, we didn't. there were a lot of people there that night. But then when years later, 
uh, Keb was playing at the event center in Benita Springs. And I reached out to Robbie and said, hey, you know, if you guys need to know a good place to eat or whatever, let me know. And they invited us to come backstage after the concert. We went with some really very good friends of ours. Um, and we're doing the little meet and greet thing back there. And it's kind of starting to wind down. And I lean over to Keb and I said, man, I just want to thank you for playing just like you because you don't always play it. But that's the first song that I heard by you, and that's what turned me on to your music. That's why I'm here now. And he goes, yeah. I said, yeah. And, and what I love about that song is people think it's a love song, but it's not. And he goes, it's not. And I said, it's about something totally different. And he goes, it's about something totally different. And I said, I have no idea what it is. He goes, you want to know what that song's about? And he takes me back in the green room. And he tells me the story about what that song is really about. And in a nutshell, Keb grew up in Compton and uh, witnessed the race riots. And he was it's about history repeating itself. Hello, my friend, it's been a while. All, my, all, all our old clothes are back in style. All these things come back, including these issues that we have with race relations in this country. And it's, we need, you know, we, we, uh, we're facing the lessons we failed to learn. Hmm. And it, it gives me chills every time I think yeah, about him no, telling me that. I just kind of got a little bit of that myself because I was hearing it as a love song too. And uh, and it's it's beautiful, but then when you really listen to the lyrics, it's oh, it's about being the same. Under my skin, I'm just like you. I I cry. I I, I beg for help, and it's like this guy is just saying, "Look, we're not that different. This isn't that complicated. We just need to we need to." write this down, you know, and, and remember it now. Um, is he going to be okay with you sharing that on the radio? Hope so. <laughs> Hope so. <laughs> we can add that to his Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. It is time to speed round you toward the exit of the show. All um, right. Uh, karaoke. Are you a karaoke -er? Absolutely. What's your go-to karaoke? Depends what I'm in the mood for. And and uh, basically, if if you want to get the bar emptied out, that's the time to put me on. Uh, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite movie soundtrack? The Blues Brothers. Nickname that stuck over the course of your life. There's two. Mister Fun, which was given to me by my wife, but it's not like it sounds. Um, it was more like planning <laughs> concert, planning concert. Okay, Mister Fun. I want to sleep in my own bed for a couple. Can we have days. a little less fun, Mister Fun? A little less fun, Mister Fun. <laughs> and then uh, the the what became kind of the DJ moniker and, and the other one. Most of my friends know me as Papa G. Papa G. If you were a championship wrestler, what song would you come in on? Everything I like by the Suitcase Junket. What would your wrestler name be? Papa G. Papa G. If you were a cocktail or drink of some kind, what would it be? They would. It would probably be just like a nice. Oh, you know what it would be? It'd be a Caprahina. What's that? Caprahina is cachaza, which is um, Brazilian rum. You use sugar, but I use brown sugar and fresh squeezed lime. And you muddle that and you do it with nice crushed ice. And on a Florida July afternoon when you've come in from the yard, it is just heaven. And we'll call it a Papa G. Call we'll, that a Papa we'll G. We'll stick with it. All right. Um, Song you wish you could hear for the first time again? I, I'd have to go with Just Like You. Album? That would probably be Songs in the Attic by Billy Joel. If you had to guess, which song you've listened the most times to in your life? Wow. 
Did I make a note? Is that on your tablet? That's that's not. <laughs> probably um, uh, James Taylor's oh, first track on JT. Whenever I see your smiling face, I have to smile myself. Jared's on it. Which is the album? JT. JT. First first track on JT by James Taylor. Your smiling face. Your smiling face I by got a James fa- Taylor. I got it faster than Jared. You beat Jared to the punch. If you um, had to choose a TV theme song to sing with us, which would it be? And then, you know, sing it with us. Oh, you you got to go with the classics. It would uh, it'd have to be the Facts of Life. Okay, Facts of Life. Rag it. While he's doing that, is there any kind of music that you'll avoid listening to or a particular song for memory reasons? Um for memory reasons, not just because it's a horrible, horrible song that should never have been released. Yeah. Um, there's really nothing I st- that I would stay away from. What about a horrible song that shouldn't be released? We built this city on rock and roll. Okay, I, I think that's acceptable. Why does everybody hate on Starship? It's it's not Starship. That song is just <laughs> we've, wrong. We've heard that that is a popular <laughs> I like that song. It's a popular, unpopular. Opinion. Is that a that's a reoccurring one? It was it's not created just me. by an algorithm before they were cool. <laughs> now let's put Rick D's in the middle of here because nobody outside of California knew who he was at this anyway. You take the bad, you take the both, and there you have the facts of life. The facts of life. Time you gotta go and show you're growing, then you know about the facts of life. The facts of life. The world never seems to be living up to your dreams. And suddenly you're reading out the facts of life are all about you. I remember this. Blair. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Desmond. Is it Mrs. Desmond? Tootie. 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 Learning the facts of life. Learning the facts of life. <laughs> I think I watched way too much TV in the 80s. Well done. I didn't know I would know most of those. If you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet all at once, which song would it be? Just Like You by Kevin. I knew you were going to say that you, as yeah. I got halfway through that. I'm the worst guest ever. Um, no, you're not. Um, uh, album that you always have to listen all the way through to. I actually I tried to research that one, and I the main one... Um, there, there's lots of them. I had uh, JT by James Taylor, Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits, Dark Side of the Moon, uh, Songs in the Attic by Jimmy uh, by uh, um, Billy Joel. But uh, the one I can tell you I always do is my Christmas tradition is the Bing Crosby Merry Christmas album. And side one is traditional, and side two is pop at the time. And my Christmas morning has not started since I was eight years old without hearing Mele Kalikimaka. Got a funny story about that song. I'll tell you after we're done. Okay. Um, album that you would choose if you could only have one for the rest of your life? A whole album? I would go with uh, The Stranger, Billy Joel. Favorite band? Band that you've maybe listened to the most, spent the most time with, or or musician? Um, oh, favorites are so hard, so I'm going to say uh, I, I'd have to go with Billy Joel. Uh, have you seen him live? I have. I'm going to see him live uh, next Saturday, too. <laughs> Where? In New York. Um, tickets I got in 2019, and we were supposed to go to New York in June, and now we're going in February. But uh, 
we we saw Billy at Madison Square Garden to kick off Colleen and I our 25th wedding anniversary, and this year is going to be our 30th wedding anniversary. So kind of book into that for us. What would your 14 year old self think of who you are today with us? Oh, would not believe it. What he would what would he not believe? Um, that I have uh, mellowed as much as I mellowed. That I can roll with things as much. And you live in Florida. Right. Yeah, that would be, <laughs> really? You, you moved there twice? What? Um, okay, it's time for you to recommend your three people. Excellent. I'm uh, First, I'm going to go with my father, Greg Billings, because as you can tell from the bio, you know, he, he's had great experiences uh, and a great storyteller and a fairly funny person, although he generally doesn't like to follow me. You might be able to talk him into it. Also, a good friend of mine, Dr. Luga Podesta, and Luga specializes in non-surgical orthopedics. He's in uh, Naples now, and he has uh, great taste in music and is uh, – has musical experiences that I don't want to steal any of his thunder, but he'd be a great guest. Okay. That's two. And my third would be uh, Norm Kaiser, who I mentioned before, the founder of the Naples Parrot Head Club and uh, the guy who's really been to a lot of Buffett shows, but also this eclectic uh, music background. When, when The first time Norm and I really uh, were talking music, and I mentioned I was going to a concert. He said, who are you going to see? I said, I'm going to see Todd Snyder. And he goes, oh, I, I know Todd Snyder. And I go, you know. F you, you don't know Todd. No one knows Todd. He goes, and then he goes through the whole litany of how, of how we got there. And Norm's just a, a great guy who, who like, like me, it's just whatever we can do to, to get more people singing instead of doing other stuff, let's, let's just have some fun listening to some tunes. Well, cheers to that and put this in front of them, and we'll try to get them on here. Thanks again for supporting the Alliance for the Arts. Everybody out there, support all your nonprofit arts organizations all across the world, including WGCU. Any final thoughts? Let's listen to more music, folks. Right on. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Mike Canary is co-creator and host. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is our online content producer and host. Audio production is by Jared the Intern Gonzalez. And Chris Duffus is our executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're jumping all the way back to episode 32 with Stephen Britton whose name came up because he's a bit of a piano collector. And if you haven't listened to his episode before, here's what you need to know. Steven's house is effectively built around a pipe organ, like a 25 rank sand in the walls for dampening pipe organ. I honestly don't think it needs any more introduction than that. So here's Steven playing somewhere over the rainbow in his pipe organ slash house. And if you haven't, go listen to episode 32.
Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. It's funny because when he left the Patriots, mm-hmm. went to the Bucks, you know, I think half of my family disowned him. 